John chapter 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. Went for a motorbike ride with Margot last Saturday, not yesterday, last Saturday, and we were uh, near a vineyard, and uh, the, the vines were so full of leaves. I love it when they're like that. They, and I just was sitting there looking at them, thinking that that's kind of the setting Jesus was sitting in when he talked to his disciples and shared this message. And I believe, like Jesus, Jesus used life. He used the things around him to teach us kingdom principles. And I believe as he sat in amongst a lush vineyard, he just looked at the bunches of grapes and the, the leaves, but then looked at the strong, sturdy trunk as these were last Saturday. And he, he looked at his disciples, and, and, and I can ad lib a bit. He, he kind of said, you know, see these vines? He said, that's me. I, I, I am the true vine. You're the branches. The thing about that is that the branches were the most attractive thing about the vine. You know, Jesus, Jesus wants us to shine. He really wants us to shine. He wants us to shine his love, his hope, his life, his peace, his goodness, his strength. He wants every part of his nature and his character to permeate every fiber of our being so that no matter what storms we face, no matter what issues confront us, no matter what disappointments, grief, setbacks, struggles we face, we will shine life and life in abundance. And he said to them, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener, the one who tends to the vines. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's interesting. That can also be interpreted he lifts up. I believe understanding the nature and character of God, that is more likely what Jesus was saying. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he doesn't discard it. He gives it every opportunity and opens every possible avenue for that branch to rise and produce fruit. Because sometimes there's reasons, there's baggage, there's internal issues, there's stuff that we are still hanging on to, struggling with, wrestling with, that can block us from actually being fruitful and, and living the, the overcoming breakthrough lifestyle that Jesus has called us to. And so every branch in him that does not bear fruit, I believe he does with his tender grace and mercy, he lifts us up. He lifts us, he washes the mud off us and he props us and he, he pins us to the trellis and, 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 and tends to us so that we will hopefully become a branch that bears fruit. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I believe it really says he lifts up. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me or live in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Unless you live in me and I in you, you will not be fruitful. It's what he's saying. Neither can you unless you abide in me bear fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who lives in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast as a branch and is withered. And they gather and, and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. You, uh, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You know, our capacity to bear fruit is not dependent on our circumstances. Our capacity to be fruit bearers is, 
is, is not dependent on what's happening around us. It's not dependent upon our job, our career, our, our family circumstances, our health. It's not dependent on those things. In, in, in some of Margot's and my darkest times in our Christian walk, and we've had, we've had a few. She's been walking with the Lord longer than I have, so she's more spiritual than I am. Um, I'd say she's been walking with the Lord for how old are you, Mark? I know you're not supposed to ask those questions. Are you? She was born into the church raised in the church whereas I, I didn't come to know Jesus till I was 19 so 40 years ago and um, you know but in our walk together in 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 our marriage in our our, our Christian ministry in our our appointment to church leadership and our role in in paid and unpaid capacities of ministry and church leadership uh, you know we've gone through some very dark seasons We've had some great times. We've had some tremendously fruitful times. We've had some uh, times where the sun has shone and it's like nothing could possibly go wrong. But yet we've gone through some very, very challenging valleys. We've gone through some seasons where I, I know what it is to, to struggle and wrestle the black dog of depression. I, I have an empathy for people who struggle with mental illness because I've had that um, I believe spiritually imposed upon me from the dark side of the spiritual world rather than from the kingdom of God. I, I know what it is to wrestle with anxiety. I know what it is to have fear. I know what it is to pace the floor at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, not being able to sleep because my mind has been running overtime on things that I, I've worried about and stressed about and, and lost sleep over, wondering, will, will it turn out? Won't it turn out? And, and the whole while, like God is trying to get my attention to say, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, you know, we'll just worry about today. But if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I will add all these things to you. I'll look after you. I'll provide every need you have according to my riches and glory. And you, you will live a life of breakthrough and fruitfulness and abundance. But when you're fearful and when anxiety is, is, is pounding in, in your heart, where your, your heartbeat is racing and when depression starts rolling in like the, the thunderclouds that, that sometimes you see coming from the horizon, it can be very, very difficult to remind yourself of scriptures like, um, uh, you know, I think Jono or, or Phil said this morning, you know, be anxious for nothing. Uh, meanwhile, we're, we're falling apart with anxiety, we're worrying and stressing, but the Bible says be anxious for nothing. Don't let, don't let anything rattle your cage. Don't let anything concern you. It's very, very difficult to apply those things to your life. But you know something, if we will just shift our eyes off the challenge and put our eyes on Jesus and we keep our heart focused on him and, and his promise says if we're anxious for nothing, you know, but in all, all prayer and supplication, let our requests be made known to God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. And I had those times where it was like a battle. It was like the devil was trying to get me, but God was trying to get me at the same time. And I'm, I'm in the middle of this, this being torn one side to the other. And, and thank God, more often than not, God got me. And my, as my heart turned and as my, my mind focused upon who he is and what he has promised and the things that he's brought across my life already, proven his faithfulness in the past already, I have found the peace of God has flooded in and, and pushed out the, the, the darkness and the anxiety and the depression and the, and the flood. Circumstances didn't change, but something happened on the inside of me. Jesus is a very, very real friend in time of trouble. 
And I found that in our journey, you know, in, in, in the, the seasons of darkness, the seasons of struggle and depression and anxiety and disappointment in people and disappointment in life and, and the things that so often bombard us, I found that as I shifted my focus back onto him and cast my cares back onto him, I found that the God of faithfulness, kindness and grace brought the fruit of overcoming power into my life every single time. I'm testifying today of the faithfulness of God. I'm testifying today of being a, I believe, a trophy of of someone that, that the devil has tried to take out numerous times. I know what it is to have suicidal thoughts. I know what it is to feel like, I, you know, checking out has become a, a very appealing idea in the middle of the ongoing darkness and challenges that have faced me. But yet God in his faithfulness and his kindness has enabled me to actually rise to a place of breakthrough and live life with a sense of peace in my mind, even though there's nothing but, but turmoil surrounding my life. I know what it is to have that peace that guards my heart And I've seen God come through and provide everything I need according to his riches and glory. God has provided so much for us. You know, in Genesis chapter 26, there was a famine in the land. And it's in the the season and time of Isaac. Abraham, his father, I'm not sure whether he died by this time, but he was a very old man. And Isaac, really the promise had been passed from Abraham to his son Isaac. Isaac had married Rebekah. And the Bible tells us the opening verse of Genesis 26, there was a famine in the land. And I, I believe Isaac, like his father Abraham, was tempted to go to Egypt. He was tempted to just pack up and go where there was grain, go where there was supply, go where there was an abundance until the famine had passed, like ride it out in a better place and do a geographical, let's, let's just get out of here till the dust settles. And once the dust settles, we can always come back. And I believe Isaac faced that temptation that Abraham faced. And when you study the journey of Abraham, where he actually fled to Egypt, he ended up in nothing but trouble. He went to a place where there was no famine, but by golly, did he have a spiritual famine while he was there? And ultimately, you learn that he should have stayed and trusted God in the middle of the circumstance. And I believe Isaac faced the same temptation. And the Lord spoke very quickly and very clearly to him and said, do not leave this place. Do not even think about going to Egypt. He said, I will be with you. I will provide for you. I will bless you. I will multiply you just like I promised to your father Abraham. Don't let the circumstances drive you to make a foolish decision. I want you to keep your eyes on me. I want you to trust me. And I don't want you to allow what you feel to determine where you go. I want you to listen clearly to my voice and follow me, even though I might at times tell you to do something that is not comfortable for you to do. I want you to stay right here. I've been reading through the book of Ruth over the last probably month to six weeks. So there's only only a couple of chapters in the book of Ruth, three chapters, I think it is. I've read it I don't know how many times and it's just it's fascinating me and I I feel like the Lord's speaking to me out of the book of Ruth but it's an interesting story because it's about a man by the name of Amalek and his wife Naomi and his two sons Chilion and Marlon and they uh, there's a famine in the land very very similar situation to Isaac and the famine in the land caused Elimelech to pack up get his wife and his sons and they moved to Moab a foreign country and uh, the, the story opens with they move to Moab and soon after Elimelech dies. So Naomi's now a widow with two small boys trying to raise her kids. And then uh, the next verse or so, you don't even hear anything about Chilion or uh, 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 Marlon. You just hear next, and then next they died. 
They'd married Moabite women and they died and now it's Naomi and her two foreign daughters-in-law that are are living with her and and life just went from one bad thing to the next for them and and you're not even out of chapter 1 of Ruth yet. And I can't help but wonder, reading about Abraham when there was a famine, he uprooted and went somewhere else and had nothing but trouble. Isaac's about to make the same mistake but God intervenes and thankfully he was obedient but yet Elimelech obviously didn't, didn't think that way. He's uprooted, gone to a foreign land. Rather than trusting God to supply what he needed in the middle of his situation, he's just gone out of reason rather than out of a heavenly revelation that guides his steps if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding and, and acknowledge him in all of our ways. What did he promise to do? He will direct our paths. Yet so often something happens and we start operating out of that place of reason where we think it would be logical to do that, logical to do this, logical to go there, logical to say that. Meanwhile, God's saying, I don't work with logic. I work in the miraculous. I want you to know that I'm God and nothing is impossible for me. Nothing is impossible to you if you just believe and trust me. I'm on a roll, aren't I? In Genesis chapter 26, God says to Isaac, don't even think about going to Egypt. But there's a famine in the land. There's no food. The market stalls are empty. There's nothing. Nobody's producing. Nobody's flourishing. This place is really bad. Do you trust me? Like Jeremy said so powerfully, and they're away camping this weekend, but he said so powerfully on this platform, facing his cancer battle, all he got from God was, do you trust me? God could have healed him like that, but he didn't. He had to walk the journey. And he's going, God, why can't you get me out of this? Do you trust me? Do you trust? We got to learn to trust God in everything. And then we come to this amazing verse in Genesis chapter 26, and I love it. Then Isaac sowed in that land. Which land? The land of famine. He sowed in the middle of a famine. Nobody was sowing. Nobody was planting. Nobody was trying to produce anything because the ground would not yield produce for anyone. But Isaac sowed in that land. And what happened? He reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. God does not operate out of reason. He operates out of the miraculous, out of the supernatural. He wants us to stand back like Moses and see the salvation of the Lord. I will protect you. I will guide you. You know, in some of our darkest journeys, I, I, have, I have seen, I have intentionally built, let me put it that way, walls around my life. Self-preservation, protecting myself from people who have hurt me, putting barriers up and guards up and, and, and avoiding certain circumstances and situations out of self-preservation. And I'm not saying that was the right thing to do. I think it's a natural human thing to do when you're wounded and you're bleeding and you're hemorrhaging to put the walls up to stay away from the people who potentially could hurt you again. You, you know, and in, in that journey, these walls have come up out of self-preservation. I was listening to Darlene Check preach it out state conference just last month and she said this and I know the Holy Spirit spoke through her directly to my heart and she went through a cancer battle she went through some challenges herself and she said the Holy Spirit spoke to her in a worship service and said to her when are you going to take the new walls down and she said what do you mean Lord but at that moment I knew what she meant because the Holy Spirit began to bring revelation. She said, well, since you went through that dark journey, since you went through those challenges, you've built new walls in your life to protect yourself. And she said, the Lord then said to her, haven't I protected you so far? 
Haven't I carried you this far by my grace? Didn't I get you through that dark time as painful as it was? Did I not get you there? Can I not do that again? And it's like the Holy Spirit said, break the walls down in your life and start letting people a little more closer to you so that you can trust me once again that I will get through, I will get you through this just like I got you through so far. God is a faithful God. He will always get us through. Isaac sowed in the land of famine and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. I don't think prosperity is just money. You can have a lot of money, but be very lean in your soul. I think prosperity is about having an internal strength and joy and capacity to overcome no matter what life brings you away. I think that's what prosperity really is. Nice to have a bit extra cash though, isn't it? How does that happen in a land of famine? It happens because our fruitfulness is not dependent on our circumstance. Our fruitfulness is dependent upon Jesus and our relationship with Jesus. Genesis chapter 41, Joseph you, you all know the story of Joseph. He went through valley after valley after valley, rejection, betrayal, uh, painful experiences to his soul. But in the middle of that, he, he gets married. He has a couple of kids and he names in verse 52 of Genesis 41, he names his second son Ephraim. Ephraim means fruitfulness. But watch this. I named him Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction, not out of it. God has caused me to be fruitful in the middle of the circumstance, in the middle of the turmoil, in the middle of the pain. God has caused me to be fruitful even though I'm in a place that is barren and there's a famine that is stopping anyone and everyone from being fruitful. God, you caused me to be fruitful in the land of my famine, in the land of my affliction. God, you're a miracle working God. What you've done for others, you can do for me. He can do for you. He's a miracle Working God, our fruitfulness is not dependent on our circumstances. You know, it's God's desire for us to be fruitful. Not, not to just experience a season of fruitfulness, but to be fruitful in an ever-increasing way. Jesus said, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it might bear more fruit. His heart is for us to be fruitful. He said to Adam and Eve, he said, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's heart is for us to increase, to develop, to grow, to be enlarged again and again and again and again to go through the cycles and the seasons of cutting back and bearing fruit, cutting back and bearing fruit. It's the plan and purpose of God. But unfortunately, not all of us experience that cyclical process. Not all of us experience that reproduction of life, that reproduction of fruit, of breakthrough. In fact, I, I've been around long enough to know the Christian road is littered with people who have had a season of success. They've had a season of breakthrough. They've had a season of victory, but are now living constantly with disappointment, a sense of, of discouragement and disillusionment and long-term barrenness, long-term barrenness, long-term unfruitfulness. And I say long-term because in God's economy, there are seasons of cutting back. There are seasons of barrenness. There are seasons of pruning. And, and you've seen the rosebush pruned. It doesn't look nice. 
The garden looks horrible, but when they're in full bloom, it's a spectacular sight if someone has a very well-kept rose garden. But when the pruning season is on, their garden looks awful. But the gardener knows that there's coming another cycle, there's coming another season of fruitfulness if we will just stay the course and stay planted in the place, the circumstance God has us in so that we can see that unfold in our life. You know, long-term barrenness is not a season. It's a symptom. It's a symptom that there's something wrong with the branch. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So I'm talking about us right now. If I'm going through a long-term barrenness, there's something very wrong in me. It's not in the vine. It's not in Jesus. The problem is not in Jesus. The problem lies with me. What, what, what can I do if I find myself in a place of long-term barrenness? What, what I, I believe there are, there are two key encounters that we must have on a regular basis if we are to be fruitful and multiply. If we are to bear more fruit, the first one is I need to have a regular encounter with Jesus and his Holy Spirit. I have to go from what my, my good friend and mentor, Danny Guglielmucci, says. I have to move from being a churchian to a Christian because there's a big difference. I don't want to be a churchian. I don't want to be in church but not in Christ. I don't want to know how the church runs but have no idea how Jesus operates in my life. I don't want to be like that. That's religious. I hate religion. I, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be somebody who listens and obeys. I want to be somebody that connects with Jesus. I want to be somebody that when I, I step aside into a quiet place, his face appears. I, I've got to move from that place of, of just going to church to actually following Christ and listening to his voice. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And they follow me. We are his sheep. He wants to guide us. If we're in a long-term season of barrenness, he wants to guide us out of that. He wants to come looking for the lost sheep, the one that's fallen into some place of barrenness, some place of unfruitfulness, some place of consistent long-term uh, lack in their life. He wants to pick us up and carry us back to the fold, back to the place of fruitfulness and abundance. You know, throughout the, the Gospels, and throughout the book of Acts particularly, you, 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 you read of those who submitted themselves to the input of the Lord. They submitted themselves to the voice of God. They listened. You know, I, I love the life of King David. And, and King David was one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. And you read throughout his history in the Old Testament, you read this phrase over and over and over again. Whenever David faced a challenge, whenever he faced a giant, whenever he faced an army, whenever he faced a threat, you read this statement over and over again. And I believe it was the key to his success. He said, David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. God, what is happening here? God, why is this happening here? Is it some sin in my life? Is it some sin in the heart of our nation? Is it, is it simply the, the enemy trying to block us from becoming all you've called us to be? God, what is it? And how do you want me to deal with this? And I love the story. On one occasion, an army comes and the Lord said, I want you to go straight up and take them out. Just like that. So David did. And he took them out. But he didn't take them all out. So they went, they regrouped, got more soldiers, and they came back. The same army came back. The very next couple of verses, same army comes back. David could have been tempted to say, oh, well, I'll just go and do it again. But no, we read again that, that phrase, David inquired of the Lord. 
And the Lord said an interesting thing. He said, I don't want you to go up and take them out this time. I want you to go around the back of the mountain. He said, I want you to hide. Get ready to ambush them. He said, when you hear the sound of a, a marching in the top of the mulberry trees, he said, I want you to go up. He said, I'll, I'll defeat them. So David listened and obeyed, did exactly what the Lord told, and defeated the army. Why didn't God just do it the same way? Why, why didn't, why, I mean, he could have. I, I am absolutely convinced it's because God wants us to learn to hear his voice and trust him in every situation. Whereas if we just do the same, well, God told me to do that last time, I'll just keep doing that. There's no relationship. He's a God that wants relationship. He wants to walk with you and listen to your heart as much as he wants you to listen to his. He wants relationship. And if you just trust him with all your heart in the middle of the circumstance, the apostles daily fed on his word, lived in his presence, and they experienced a life flow that produced something in them and through them. You know, they daily sought his mind on the issues at hand. They daily followed his direction. You read the book of Acts, it's fascinating. The apostle Paul, just listening to the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit, he tried to go in one place and the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to go there. But he thought, God, they're all unsaved. They need Jesus. Yeah, I know they do, but I'm not working there yet. I want you to follow me. I want you to do what you see me doing as I did what I saw my father doing. We've got to learn to hear his voice. We've got to learn to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You think, oh, what if, what if I hear wrong and I'm led astray? That's why we've got the Bible. Because God will never tell you to do something that... that uh, um, it contradicts his word. You know, ladies, God will never give you another woman's husband. Men, God will never give you another man's wife. Yet I have heard in my journey as a Christian leader, people look me in the eyes and say, no, God has engineered this. I prayed this way and this way and this way and this and we've just come to get it. Look, they're going to get a divorce and, and I just know they should never have married them and that really they, they, they were meant for me and, and you know, I can just see how the hand of God, it's been the hand of the devil, believe me, the whole way. God will never do that. That's how you know. Is this, you know, God's telling me to do something. Well, does it contradict this word? No, I've got a peace in my heart. It lines up with his word. God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to step. We've got to hear his voice. They lived, the apostles, with the Holy Spirit. They walked with the Holy Spirit. They, they were led by the Holy Spirit. They ministered in and with the Holy Spirit and had ongoing encounters with the Holy Spirit. They were ever increasingly fruitful. You know why? Because in the words of Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by reason, it's not by logic, it's not by me trying to work it all out and trusting my own imagination and intellect to get through something. It's by the power of his spirit in my life. That's the only way I'm going to be fruitful in an ever-increasing way. Without him, Jesus said, you can do nothing. We must have regular encounters with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I'm, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm a Pentecostal. That's all I've ever known. I got saved in the Pentecostal church. We're not as Pentecostal as we used to be. It's not necessarily a good thing, but we've become a lot more contemporary, and I think we've lost uh, elements of our Pentecostalism. But I remember the day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember the sensation, the feeling, the infusion of the presence of God. I remember speaking in a language I have never learned, and it's a gift that has never left me. And and I speak in tongues when I'm praying. I don't do it a lot in public, but I speak in tongues when I'm praying. And, and I have learned that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a goal. It's a doorway. 
It's not, it's not something to be aspired to. Now I've got it. I've had it. Yes, I've arrived. No, it's a tool. It's a gift given to us from heaven and is a doorway into the very presence and mind of God. And I believe when I pray in tongues, revelation flows far more easily than if I'm just sitting trying to work something out. I, I have had times where I thought, I don't really know what to do here. I don't even know how to pray. God, I want to pray according to your will, because I know if I pray according to your will, you hear me. And if you hear me, then I'll have what I'm asking. God, I don't know. But then the Bible tells us in one of the Corinthian letters that we don't know how to pray as we ought, so the Holy Spirit prays through us. And I, I haven't got a clue what I'm saying or praying when I'm praying, but I, I've had times where the language has changed and I've been convinced I've been speaking Japanese. It's just sounded like Japanese. Sometimes I think it's an earthly language. Sometimes I think it's a heavenly language. But I do know this. When I pray in tongues, something builds up in my spirit. My faith levels begin to rise and, and, and revelation begin. I, I step into a zone where, where I hear the voice of God with greater clarity. I sense the leading of the Holy Spirit with greater clarity. And in those moments and those times, fruitfulness usually follows because I'm hearing what he's wanting to do. And when I pray according to his will, he hears me. And if he hears me, I have what I, you know the rest. We've got to have regular encounters with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But the second thing we need to do is have regular encounters with ourselves. I want you to hear this. Jeremiah said an interesting thing. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If anyone ever tells you, oh, just follow your heart, don't listen to them. Follow your heart, you'll be in trouble. You can follow the promptings that the Holy Spirit puts in your heart, but don't follow your heart because the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we ever hope to be fruitful in life, we have to face ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves and address the issues that will or already do hold us Back. Many of us carry baggage from our pre-conversion days, 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years into our walk with Jesus. And it's not the will of God. Many of us carry the same resentments we had before we got saved. Many of us are easily offended as much as we were before we got saved. Many of us carry bitterness. We carry unforgiveness in our heart. We carry baggage into our Christian experience. And I, I am convinced it's, it's like pouring Roundup on the garden. You, you, you know what Roundup is, don't you? I remember using it on some weeds when we were out in Dubbo and it killed them like that. And somebody in the church said, how did you get rid of all those weeds? He said, Roundup. So he went and sprayed his whole front lawn with it. I drove past and I thought, I should have explained how this stuff really works. It kills anything and everything. I, I, think, I think baggage from our past things that we ignore. I'm not offended, but yet our life oozes symptoms of offense. You know, I remember I was in third class in primary school and this, this boy in front of me pooed his pants. It was everywhere. It was all over the seat. It was all under the, under the seat he was sitting in. It was, anyway, the, the teacher found him and just quietly got him up and walked him out. And he's all over the back of his pants. It's all running down his legs. And I've never forgotten what he said as he walked out. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> Poor kid. I didn't do it. I think some of us are like that with our baggage. 
Nothing, nothing wrong with me. Nothing wrong with me. Meanwhile, we wonder why we're not fruitful. Meanwhile, we wonder why we're not getting breakthrough. Meanwhile, we're not wondering why God's blessing is not flowing. Like We wonder why we are in this long-term season of barrenness, which is not a season, it's just a symptom. I wonder sometimes if it's because we're not having true, genuine encounters with ourselves, where we're sitting in the presence of God and allowing him in the words of David in Psalm 139, the closing words, he, he talks about how great God is. He talks about the, the fact that he was hidden in his mother's womb, that God shaped him, that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. And at the end of that, he says this amazing thing, God, search me, know me, try me. See if there is any wicked way in me. Now, wickedness is not, not conniving to do something really bad. Wickedness is anything that is not of God. Fear in your heart is wickedness. doesn't mean you're wicked, but it's a wicked thing in your heart. So search me, God, and see if there is any fear in me, a wicked thing in me, and drive that thing out. Help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to become a clean vessel, a clean conduit, a well-pruned, well-fed, well-nourished uh, uh, branch in the vine so that I can bear more fruit. God, take the roundup out of my life. Take the unforgiveness. Take the resentment. God, even if I find I can't forgive someone, just start at this point. God, make me willing to forgive them. You say, I don't even want that. Well, then go a step back further. God, make me willing to be willing to forgive them. You just go back as far as you need to go. And the Holy Spirit can do a miracle in our heart that will drive the poison out, the baggage from our past. But we've got to have an encounter with ourselves. We've got to sit and look ourselves in the eye, in the mirror, and say, what is it about you that's holding you back? And then bring the Holy Spirit into the equation. Say, God, tell me what it is. Just like he did with Darlene. When are you going to take the new walls down in your life? By golly, that spoke to my heart. It's time to open up and become vulnerable again. There was a time I could never have done that. I thought if, if somebody else puts a knife in my liver, I'm not going to survive that one. That's how I felt. But yet here's the Holy Spirit saying, didn't I protect you this far? You had knives in your liver, but I healed your liver, didn't I? Spiritually speaking. You know, God, God wants to have regular encounters with us. He wants to speak to us and he wants us to follow his voice. You know, and again, I'm going to close with this. Somebody, the band can come back. Somebody put this on Facebook and I love it. It's this guy squatting under a cloud saying, God, speak to me. And a hand comes through the cloud with a Bible in it. Read this. That's the best way God will speak to you. You know, it's the only reliable source of information we have about God. Read the Bible. And in the process of that, he will often speak to you through the Bible. He will cause a scripture to leap off the page, make it yours. And, and he will just apply it to your situation, your challenge, your storm, whatever it is you're facing. But we've got to have the regular encounters with God. Amen.